Hello, and welcome back to the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast. I'm your host, Meg Carney, and I'm an outdoor and environmental writer and author of the book, Outdoor Minimalist, Wasteless Hiking, Camping, and Backpacking. The Outdoor Minimalist Podcast has a goal to give listeners actionable ways to waste less hiking, camping, backpacking, and more during every step of their process. Your impact outdoors starts long before you hit the trail and goes beyond leave no trace ethics. You'll learn how to identify sustainable outdoor brands, how to ask hard questions regarding sustainability, and begin to shift and evolve your mindset to integrate minimalism into all of your outdoor pursuits. In episode 53 of the Outdoor Minimalist Podcast, we are answering a listener question. How do you talk about outdoor minimalism with friends and family that don't know a lot about these topics or maybe don't even agree with some of the ideas? First of all, love this question. And second, if you ever have specific questions or topic ideas for episodes, please feel free to message me, email me, or submit an episode request on theoutdoorminimalist.com. So moving into the topic, for most outdoor recreationalists, these concepts in the Outdoor Minimalist book and in the podcast are ones that we mostly can agree on. But when it comes to minimizing your environmental impact in general, it can reach into areas of our lives like the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear and buy, and how we interact with nature in general. And some of these things, well, most of these things, they require a behavioral change of some kind. And that's not something everyone in your life may be comfortable with or willing to ever do. So if that sounds like someone that you might know, how can you introduce these ideas in a way that might be approachable or might actually stir up a constructive conversation? To help me with this idea and episode, I'm excited to have my older brother and the audio editor of the podcast, Alex Carney, on the show. And we will be going over some different approaches to help introduce outdoor minimalism to people of all backgrounds and ways of life. So welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you for having me. So for the structure of this episode, how it's kind of going to work is Alex is going to pose general questions to me so we can kind of help people navigate different types of conversations and different topic areas. But for the most part, it's going to be relatively general and focused on outdoor minimalism. But the answers to these questions can also relate to other difficult conversations you may have to have in your life. So, Alex, if you want to start with the first one. So someone like me has, you know, a, a basic understanding of how what outdoor minimalism is and how it works. But sometimes I find it difficult to have constructive conversations with people who might push back on some of these, what do you want to call controversial ideas or overly liberal ideas, especially living in a conservative part of the country. So, like, is there a good way to approach that conversation about zero waste minimalism and environmentalism with someone who might not agree with you? Yeah, so I think I have the most experience from talking about veganism from this conversation. And I think a lot of the general things before you even get into the conversation to think about are like, Try to keep it light and try not to be super defensive because if it's something you really care about, it's easy to start to like defend yourself and get aggressive and then people just get reactive and that's not constructive. And if you're the person that is approaching them to have this conversation, so say like maybe you're going on a backpacking trip with your friend and you want to minimize the packaging waste for the food that you eat and your meal planning together. So like approaching that conversation, you don't necessarily want to aim to change their mind like asking them a lot of questions, 
asking them things like, oh, why does this topic make you uncomfortable? And trying to meet them where they are currently at instead of like pushing really hard to try and get them to change because a lot of times that just kind of shuts people down. And I like to speak from personal experiences. So it makes it less big picture, like doom and gloom type of thing. Just talking about your own personal experience so they're able to relate a little bit better. And that allows you to be really specific and give examples that they, like I said, can relate to. And I think keeping it really personalized to that person and meeting them where they're at, it helps keep the conversation going by encouraging an open dialogue instead of them feeling attacked. So, like I said, baseline understanding of outdoor minimalism. What is the proper way to explain what exactly outdoor minimalism is? I guess if you're approaching this type of conversation, we can kind of assume maybe you've read the book or parts of the book and listened to a couple episodes or something like that. So you can reference those resources to define it. And you can also just use like straight up use the definition (laughs) from the book, which is an individual striving to minimize their impact in their relationship with nature and one who consumes thoughtfully and only what they need and leaves the wilderness better than they found it. And having that like succinct and concise definition can sometimes help, especially people that maybe are more analytical or logical or something like that, because there's not really a lot to argue with in that definition. It's just like, here, this is what those words mean together. (laughs) There you go. And then you can kind of explain it how it relates to outdoor recreation. So I mean, the main goal is to minimize your impact, right? That's kind of generally minimalism in general. So relating it back to the roots of zero waste minimalism and environmentalism and trying to cut down on environmental harm. Sure, sure. But this isn't exactly a newfangled idea, right? I mean, this is a lot of these resources are available already through the National Park Service and whatnot, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of like current resources, like you're saying. So like directing them to leave no trace. And even if you want to get like deeper into movements that have inspired the concepts in outdoor minimalism. So the environmental movement, which has been going on for basically ever, like you could reference a lot of the resources that they have, any organization or park service that deals with restoration, conservation, a lot of those ideas will overlap. The zero waste movement will be a really big influence and minimalism in general, like in any area of your life, all of that will overlap. So where would one start a conversation with somebody about this topic? There are areas of more controversy that we should avoid? Hmm, I think that is very personal. So I guess going into the conversation, knowing what you would like to achieve, I guess, with keeping in mind that you're not necessarily going in to change their mind. Like you just want to have an open dialogue. Being able to personalize it to them to be like, oh, they hike with their dog. Maybe I can specifically talk about something related to their dog because everyone that has a dog is obsessed with their dog. You know, like find something that they would be interested in and actually be willing to think about and consider when they're on their daily walk or when they're on their hike with their dog. That's, I think, a good place to start the conversation. But if you're trying to explain outdoor minimalism specifically and not necessarily like small areas of your life that you would be enacting these changes, then it's helpful to reference the seven R's of outdoor minimalism, which are in the book. So if you have the book, you can bring the book with for this conversation and even use it as an example. 
And those, for people that don't remember, are reduce, refuse, rethink, repair, rehome and repurpose, which are grouped together, remove and restore. And those seven things are kind of like the framework of everything inside of outdoor minimalism. So kind of introducing those topics as a roadmap for the conversation maybe could be helpful. Areas of more controversy would come with if there's anything that could conflict with their morals or their values. And this could be subconscious things. These could be cultural things, religious things, just general beliefs that they were raised with. One big area of controversy, which I didn't think would be a controversy, is picking up dog poop. Another area would be the environmental impact of the food that we eat. And plastic. Plastic is a very big deal (laughs) in any environmental discussion. And talking about the impacts of plastic can be pretty controversial and will overlap with a lot of different topic areas. So like finding constructive ways to explain that can be somewhat difficult. I'm trying to think of maybe some other stuff that could be controversial. Can you think of any? Well, I mean, like an exact controversial topic. Yeah, just like things within outdoor minimalism that could be like dicier to talk about. Well, I can't think of anything that's necessarily controversial, but is difficult to navigate. And that's greenwashing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's That one is like a hard concept, I think, to grasp and then also to kind of explain because it's so widespread. Yeah, because I mean, like we want to do the right thing, but like how do we know who's lying to us and who isn't? Everyone is lying to us. No, I'm just kidding. Kind of, but not really. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I feel kind of bad referencing the book all the time, but if you have it, it's a great resource to navigate these types of conversations. And in the get to know your gear chapters where it'll really go into detail about greenwashing and it will give some specific examples. But I guess in general, if you're trying to explain it to someone I would just explain it as a marketing tactic, and it's a way to convince a consumer that it has good intentions, that something is more environmentally friendly than it actually is. If you want to reference the book, on page 23, there is a little table, I guess, or like a little box. (laughs) I don't know what to call this little box about how to recognize greenwashing in an outdoor company. And it has like the seven sins of greenwashing, basically, which are there's no proof of their claims. The environmental messaging is extremely vague, and that has to do mostly with language. So when people or companies use words like natural, biodegradable, words that are not regulated by a regulatory body of any kind. The product messaging is focused only on one environmental issue. So that would be like if there's a company that plants trees for the pants that they sell. So you buy a pair of pants, they plant one tree for that pair of pants, but that product is still within the fast fashion realm. Like planting that tree means literally nothing. So that would be (laughs) an example. Um, They're not using any legitimate third-party certifications. So certifications like blue signed fabrics, climate neutral, B Corp, their marketing boasts a lesser of two evils which I think that's kind of explanatory. There's no... Are those companies third-party, independent regulatory bodies? Uh, like the third-party certifications? Yeah. Yeah. So they would be like a third-party regulatory body. Yes. I think that's what you're asking. 
Yeah, I was just making sure that those aren't like some shell corporations created by like Adidas to tell everybody that they're not using plastic. (laughs) I mean, some of them are, but that's why like, I guess the terminology that I would use in this section is like a legitimate third party certification, which is also hard for the consumer to really know. You know, yeah. So, like, if they created the certification themselves, like in house, then that's not a third party, but you have to be able to know that too. (laughs) Sure. And that would kind of tie into like the sixth part of this, which is a lack of transparency. So, I would say if they're using a regulatory body with in house and not a third party and not letting consumers know that, that's a lack of transparency. Or if they're not listing all of their product materials. So since I was talking about fast fashion clothes, if they say like, this is a wool base layer, what percentage of that is actually wool? You know, like if they're not listing that outright, and then also they should be following the entire production process. So they should be able to tell you where that wool is sourced. They should be able to tell you where it was milled. They should be able to tell you how it was transported and all that jazz. And then the last one would be non-responsiveness to consumer inquiries regarding environmental practices. So if you're on a website that isn't being transparent, but you're still interested in the product and you email them and are like, hey, can you give me all these things? And they either one, don't reply, or two, say, no, we don't share that with our customers. That is a huge red flag because if they were proud of their environmental practices within the company, they would be sharing it with the consumers. So, I mean, like with the lack of transparency thing, that's what you said, you know, using general terms and stuff, but then you have a company like Zero Shoes that's just outright, like, we still use plastic in this and we're sorry, we're trying better you're looking for companies that are admitting their faults and trying to work at that is that a better sign that they're not really greenwashing you in the same capacity yeah i would say so because any person or any company that is creating a product as long as they can be realistic and genuine about that environmental impact i would call that transparent i mean you obviously want to look for good product materials and like good sourcing and things like that. But in some arenas, it's hard to get away from synthetics and make a durable product. So if they are actively working on things and being transparent about that process as they move through their production, I would call that transparent and not greenwashing. So applying all of these principles is a really good foundation to the rhetoric of said conversation, this hypothetical conversation we're sculpting. (laughs) Yeah. But there's bound to be things missed in that gauntlet. What is a good way to get around a conflict that would come up? Yeah, so I guess if someone is just outright disagreeing with you, I'm going to try to think of a personal example. So I mentioned before that surprisingly picking up dog poop has a lot of controversy. And I'm saying that because on some of my social media platforms, so Instagram and TikTok, I've posted videos about the importance of cleaning up dog poop and like the different types of bags and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times there will be people that straight up be like, well, the plastic is worse than the poop. You know, like just leave the poop. The fact that you're using plastic makes that a worse act. Or there will be people saying like, (laughs) it's just straight up insults, I guess. Like it depends on the direction that it goes. Hypothetically, if it's your friend, you would hope that they're not insulting you, right? If it's a stranger, I guess it's more likely to get like defensive and rude. 
And I would say if it gets to like the defensive and rude area where they're just being like, you are a, a snowflake liberal and you've lived in a city and don't understand nature or something like that, like they're just trying to attack you. And I think recognizing that they're not in a space to have a constructive conversation gives you the agency to just leave, just leave that conversation, whether it's in person or online. And you can also redirect the conversation in those instances by asking questions. So that, I guess, is one tool that I have used a lot when conversations become close to an argument or the other person becomes argumentative. I ask them a question that allows them to explain their perspective further. And sometimes I'll also ask them a question where in their answer they disprove themselves, (laughs) which I don't know if that's manipulative or not, but basically it's a way to prove your point without having an argument because it's a way for them to like work through the conflict that they're having personally instead of being told how to do it if that Mm -hmm. makes sense and it's really satisfying yeah i guess it makes it does make me feel good (laughs) i don't know if that's bad i'll unpack that in therapy okay (laughs) but if there are other conflicts where it's like something against the way they were raised and that's like the only thing they know so that would make it harder for them to want to make those changes i would kind of say the same thing like ask them questions like why do you believe that why are you feeling why is this making you feel uncomfortable um and they might not be able to answer that in that moment but it definitely might make them less defensive by feeling more in control of like what is happening in that moment and then you'd be able to approach it again later on you could also just redirect the conversation in general to a different topic that they are more comfortable with or you can use that information to say like okay that's not a place that i can meet them at at this moment And be really mindful about like how they reacted and the emotions that they had that came up. And then like maybe find something within outdoor minimalism that's less triggering to them. That they would be like more in agreement. And that would allow the open dialogue to eventually get back to the conflict area when they feel more prepared. I mean, if you get into the realm of environmental policy and like government control and regulations, I feel that that tends to be more triggering because people really identify with whatever party it is they're associated with. And that all can be really triggering. Mm -hmm. And legalese is rarely cheery. Yeah, yeah. So what's the best way to keep this conversation going and make an actual change? Hmm. Great question. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it's related to a lot of the other things that we've been talking about, and it's finding ways that it would relate to their life. So maybe it's your hiking partner. A great time and place to bring this stuff up is on a hike. You know, like you're already engaged in activity, you both love, you're outside having a good time, like your spirits are high. And it gives you like a chance to talk about those impacts in an environment that they theoretically care about and they're participating in and just keeping it related to the things that they enjoy and finding a common ground I think is really helpful. I don't want to say that it should always be lighthearted because I don't think that's realistic. But another way to keep the conversation going is by practicing all of the things that you are explaining. So practice what you preach, if you want to use that phrase. So if you're talking, since we've used this example a bunch, if you're talking about dog poop, if you're hiking with your dogs 
always pick up your dog's poop. And if they're super against it, pick up their dog's poop. Like, just do it and, like, move on. You don't even really have to say anything or bring it up. They can maybe ask questions. But seeing other people practice those things, I think, can be really influential, especially if they're within your inner circle. And then it kind of gives you a launching point to move into those conversations with other areas of your group. Because I think conversation in general, no matter the topic area, is one of the most impactful ways that individuals can make a change. And the goal within that is in hopes that you would change their mind, even though I said that you shouldn't go in with the idea that you will change their mind. (laughs) But you can be hopeful. Another way, if they are not being super responsive to conversations that you're specifically having, relating it back to their personal experiences, you can give them resources, which for some shameless plugs, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously can share episodes with them. You know, if they have pets, there's a ton of episodes on dogs specifically. If they work in the guiding industry, we have some episodes about guiding. So find one that would be relevant to them. You can also share a copy of the book with them, which we referenced throughout this whole episode. And the book does a good job. (laughs) It sounds, it feels weird saying this out loud of being like, I did a good job explaining this, but it breaks it down into different parts and sections. And there's a lot of information packed into it. You don't need to read it cover to cover. You can just reference the parts that would be most relevant or interesting to you at that time in your life. So that's a good way to do it. And you could also just use the book in general. Like maybe you guys read it together or you have a little book club or something with your hiking group. And that in itself is like, if you hike once a month and you read one chapter that month, that already gives you talking points for that hike and that conversation. So you guys can collaborate together and come to conclusions and solve problems that would be most relevant to you. And as many of you know, another great resource is following us on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book. And that can be really nice for people maybe that there was a little more pushback in the conversation or they don't really like reading books, which that's totally okay if people don't like reading books because on that platform we post videos that have more snackable bits of information just to kind of get you thinking and also more in-depth carousel type slides that i guess would be kind of like a slideshow that give information about other topics like product materials sustainable marketing greenwashing and all of that stuff and if they're following it it'll show up on their instagram feed and it might just help insert those ideas into their thought process on a more daily basis. Sweet. Yeah, I don't have a ton of other things to say on the topic, but thank you for this question. And as a reminder, like you can submit any episode ideas or questions on theoutdoorminimalist.com. But with that, thank you, Alex, for being on the show today and actually recording your own voice and for editing all the wonderful episodes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you hear, let me know. Leave a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can still find me on Instagram at outdoor.minimalist.book for daily updates, other educational resources, and to help build an outdoor community with a shared goal to create a better outdoor space as we recreate.